Hello everyone, and welcome back to The Corporate Casket. My name is Blair, and today we're going to be covering Celestial Seasonings Tea and their very, very weird cultish history. I already talked about this on a Twitch stream, and for those of you who aren't following me there, go to twitch.tv slash the Illuminati. I talk about a lot of smaller stories and things like that, and every once in a while, I decide they need full-blown episodes, and that's exactly what today is. So while going through this on my Twitch stream, it just started to blow my mind by how nutty, how crazy, how just wild this whole situation was. And I kind of figured it needed to be highlighted on the podcast. So that's what we are doing today. So sit down, buckle up and get ready for one hell of a ride. Let's jump right into it. As always, we're going to start with the history of celestial seasonings themselves. According to the website, celestial seasonings began when one of its founders, Mo Siegel, handpicked wild herbs from the Colorado Rocky Mountains and used them to make tea in 1969. In the following years, he sold Mo's herb teas to health food stores in hand-sewn muslin bags. The site reads, it was in those early years that we began creating and defining the herbal tea category. By 1972, two of our flagship blends were introduced, Red Zinger and Sleepy Time. These innovative blends and their popularity, Sleepy Time is the best-selling specialty tea of all time, helped turn our cottage industry into a near overnight success. From there, the Celestial Seasonings talked about how they've grown, they're so well-known now, you get the picture. Plenty of patting themselves on the back, but let's focus on these early years. Mo Siegel, John Hay, and Peggy Clute were all the grounders of Celestial Seasonings, the names behind the brand. Peggy and Mo had a daughter together, Sarah Siegel, and some sources online refer to John Hay as Wick Hay for some reason, and I don't know why people can't agree on his name, but I thought I'd let you know. Like the New York Times calls him Wick, the Washington Post calls him John, it's just a bit of a mess. One blog states that Wick was the founder and John was Wick's brother who joined the company later on. (laughs) Haha, John Wick, sorry, I just realized that. So that may explain the name confusion, though that doesn't explain why different sources don't agree on which Hay brother is the founder. However, this Hay founder isn't the man we're going to focus on today, but the man that Celestial Seasonings was originally named for, Mo Siegel. Mo had some incredibly alarming beliefs, ones that he incorporated into the brand. According to my sources, he was an avid believer in the New Age Bible called the Urantia book. I don't know if I said that right, Urantia? Now, I try really hard not to discourage or hate on anyone's beliefs. You think what you want as long as it's not harming anyone. However, this Urantia book does hurt people. There are some incredible, incredible racist beliefs buried inside this book. And it seems to promote the idea of eugenics and its cultish, alien-centric ideas remind me a lot of Scientology. According to Urantia's text, a half a million years ago, six colored races existed on our planet, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and indigo. Again, according to the text, there was a racial superiority order with the indigo race at the bottom in which, as it notes, the blue man subdues the indigo. It oddly states that strains of giantism can appear in green and orange peoples. The upshot of all of this is that on every planet in every universe, fair-skinned blue-eyed aliens named Adam and Eve come and upstep the natives, meaning that they eliminate the inferior stocks and purify the planet. 
says Giller, one writer researching celestial seasonings about her research, there were so many instances of racism and very strange beliefs in the book that it was really hard to narrow down what I wanted to include in her article. It's worth noting that Siegel himself seems to have been on both sides of these topics. He didn't provide comment to Giller, so she relied on a piece he co-wrote called The 20 Most Asked Questions. In it, Siegel writes, "'Belonging to any particular race provides no spiritual advantage or disadvantage. All persons are equal in the sight of God.'" But he also writes, "'At the present time, mankind loses about as much progress as it makes by ignoring eugenics.'" In 1969, the same year he co-founded Celestial Seasonings, Siegel discovered the Urantia book. He was immediately taken by the ideas, writing in 2006 that, I was not concerned about who had written it or how it had been written because it was so powerful. Later, he admitted that the book's ideas were the inspiration for the uplifting quotes we print on the side of our tea boxes and our tea bag tags. As a former employee told Giller, the Urantia book was a guide for making sure the moral values that underlay the company at the time. Siegel left the company in 2002, but he remained into Urantia. Eventually, Siegel became president of the Urantia Foundation, a title he still holds today. So to put it very simply, Siegel was taken by a disturbing racist book, didn't care who wrote it or why, and printed the text on the tea bags for the public to enjoy. That is a massive yikes on trikes from me. Well, although Siegel may not care who wrote the Urantia text, I sure as hell do. So before we read it, and yes, I tortured myself to read some of this thing, I figured we could learn a bit about the Urantia author and see who inspired Siegel enough to associate his brand with them. This food and wine article speculated that the Urantia text was written by William Sadler, a turn of the century psychiatrist who published three books about eugenics. Anywhere you look, the Urantia book is anonymous. However, William Sadler has written about the history of the Urantia movement a lot, with his writings published on the Urantia website. He also states that the main reason why the Urantia author's identity hasn't been released is because, quote, the celestial revelators do not want any human being, any human name ever to be associated with the Urantia book, end quote. Whether or not you believe he wrote it, Sadler, as well as his friends, former patients, and colleagues were the first believers in his book, and they claim that it materialized in front of them. Sure, let's go with that. I want to talk about William Sadler because his history is interesting to say the least. Not the good kind of interesting, but interesting nonetheless. And no, don't get him confused with William Sadler, the actor who played Haywood in Shawshank Redemption, just FYI. This William, William Samuel Sadler, was born in 1875. I know it might seem like we're drifting a little far away from celestial seasonings here, but William was the start of this Urantia movement. And whether or not you believe it materialized in front of him, even though it definitely fucking didn't, he's credited with helping publish this book. The thing is, if a racist eugenic book suddenly materialized in front of me, I wouldn't go out of my way to find an agent to publish it. I'd probably burn the book and the house down with it because that would be horrifying. So his, I didn't write it or aliens don't want us to know who wrote it excuse isn't gonna work here. And that's beside the fact that pre-World War II, eugenics was actually a pretty popular like hot button topic like globally. So like I just, it was on everyone's minds. I don't wanna hear it that it just magically materialized. But anyway, onto who William really was. According to one source, Sadler was born in Indiana, but moved to Michigan to work at a sanitarium. There he met the physician and health food promoter, John Harvey Kellogg, co-inventor of Corn Flakes breakfast cereal, who became his mentor. 
Sadler married Kellogg's niece, Lena Celestia Kellogg, in 1897. He worked for seven Christian organizations and attended medical school, graduating in 1906. Sadler practiced medicine in Chicago with his wife, who was also a physician. He joined several medical associations and taught at the McCormick Theological Seminary. Although he was a committed member of the Seventh-day Advent Church for almost 20 years, he left the denomination after it disfellowshipped his wife's uncle in 1907. Sadler and his wife became speakers on the Chautauqua Adult Education Circuit in 1907, and he became a highly paid popular orator. He eventually wrote over 40 books on a variety of medical and spiritual topics advocating a holistic approach to health. Sadler extolled the value of prayer and religion, but was skeptical of mediums, assisting debunker Howard Thurston and embraced the scientific consensus on evolution. In 1910, Sadler went to Europe and studied psychiatry for a year under Sigmund Freud. Sometime between 1906 and 1911, Sadler attempted to treat a patient with an unusual sleep condition. While the patient was sleeping, he spoke to Sadler and claimed to be an extraterrestrial. Sadler spent years observing the sleeping man in an effort to explain the phenomenon and eventually decided the man had no mental illness and that his words were genuine. The man's identity was never publicized, but speculation has focused on Sadler's brother-in-law, Wilfred Kellogg. Over the course of several years, Sadler and his assistants visited the man while he slept, conversing with him about spirituality, history, and cosmology, and asking him questions. A larger number of interested people met at Sadler's home to discuss the man's responses and to suggest additional questions. The man's words were eventually published in the Urantia book and the Urantia Foundation was created to assist Sadler in spreading the book's message. It is not known who wrote and edited the book, but several commenters have speculated that Sadler played a guiding role in its publication. Although it never became the basis of an organized religion, the book attracted followers who devoted themselves to its study and the movement continued after Sadler's death. Again, a different source stated that it was materialized, but hey, whether it was materialized or a sleeping or trance man's words, I still wouldn't publish it. And that's unfortunately what we're gonna read soon. As for works that Sadler does actually take credit for, those are also quite worrying, especially when you take into account that Sadler was considered a medical professional. Though Sadler wrote many books, a lot of them about self-help, he also had an interest in eugenics and believed the Nordic race was superior to others. Some say he believed in Grant's books and state, one of Grant's contemporaries was able to dispose even more conveniently of the German claim to Nordic stock. Dr. William S. Sadler, a surgeon and professor of therapeutics at a noted school of medicine, suggested that not only had the Alpines displaced most of the Nordics in Germany in the Thirty Years' War, but many of the Nordics who were left later emigrated to the United States. The new element thus contextualized is Dr. Sadler, who in 1922 wrote a book called Race Decadence, an examination of the causes of racial degeneracy in the United States. This book is all about race betterment, or as the book itself states, human betterment. Madison Grant, who wrote The Passing of the Great Race, heavily inspired Sadler, as we just said, And Sadler was a part of this Urantia thing, which is a part of Celestial Seasonings and their brand. But Madison Grant didn't just inspire Sadler, but Hitler too. Yes, actually Hitler. One source claims Hitler considered Grant's text his Bible. So Madison Grant was next level kinds of racist, inspired Hitler and Sadler to also spread the idea of racial purity. 
And then here is this fucking tea brand made by Siegel who was influenced by these same beliefs who claimed they were so powerful that it didn't matter who wrote them. But I'm just gonna say, if someone's book is endorsed by Hitler, then you know you might just have a couple problems. All right, now that we know a little bit about the kind of people Siegel was looking up to, let's take a look at the actual garbage fire that is this book. Let me start by saying Urantia refuses to admit that their book is racist in any way. They state, there are many sections in the book that can bring consternation when considered outside the context of the full revelation, race being one of them. It's usually suggested that a first and complete reading of the book from front to back be undertaken as quickly as possible without attempting to comprehend all that's being read. This provides an overall context and defines the scope of the material. Subsequent reading can then delve deeper into the terminology and meanings. It has been suggested too, that rather than being written like a textbook, the Urantia book is more like a symphony with themes and melodies being repeated in a myriad of variations throughout the whole. One has to listen to a symphony more than once to get a basic understanding of the composition. However, as much as Urantia denies this with flowery, meaningless words, the Urantia Bible itself says something completely different. It's free online, by the way, so don't worry, you don't actually have to support anyone to buy it. You can just read it for free. Anyway, on to the first chapter. It begins by saying that God created the heavens and the earth, humans can't be perfect, and a lot of general ideas. It says that God is more than reality or the desire of man, but a loving father to all who enjoy spiritual peace. A lot of this doesn't make a ton of sense to me, I'll admit, mostly because it seems to jump around a lot. There's no concrete ideas or answers, but hey, that's better than the racism I'm expecting. But on chapter 51 or paper 51, as they call it, there's messages that, well, I'll just read them to you. Remember that they believed in red, yellow, indigo, people of literal shades of the rainbow being races. And here's what they say about those races. On those worlds, having all six evolutionary races, the superior peoples are the first, third, and fifth races, the red, yellow, and the blue. The evolutionary races thus alternate in capacity for intellectual growth and spiritual development, the second, fourth, and sixth being somewhat less endowed. These secondary races are the people that are missing on certain worlds. They are the ones that have been exterminated on many others. It is a misfortune on Urantia that you so largely lost your superior blue men, except as they persist in your amalgamated white race. The loss of your orange and green stocks is not of such serious concern. The more backward humans are usually employed as laborers by the more progressive races. This accounts for the origin of slavery on the planets during the early ages. The orange men are usually subdued by the red and reduced to the status of servants, sometimes exterminated. When a planetary Adam and Eve arrive on an inhibited world, they have been fully instructed by their superiors as to the best way to affect the improvement of the existing races of intelligent beings. And I admit, I struggled to make sense of this at some parts because of these races being red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and indigo. But the point is that on every planet in this Urantia universe, fair-skinned blue-eyed aliens named Adam and Eve appear to quote, upstep the natives. Cult Education talked about this as well and stated, this process happens on every planet when Adam and Eve appear, but on Urantia, i.e. Earth, it didn't go according to plan. Adam and Eve messed up. So having failed to achieve race harmonization by the Adamic technique, 
Part two, the local universe section of book tells us you must now work out of your planetary problem of race improvement by other and largely human methods of adaptation and control. Biologic renovation of the racial stocks, the selective elimination of inferior human strains, paper 70 of the Urantia book states, will tend to eradicate many mortal inequalities. In fact, per the text, evil in the form of illness and disease exists because unfit peoples like Australian natives and the Bushmen and Pygmies of Africa These miserable remnants of the non-social peoples of ancient times haven't been eliminated. Eugenics is the way to correct this error. Compare that to Hitler's words in Mein Kampf. The demand that defective people be prevented from propagating equally defective offspring represents the most human act of mankind. It's pretty easy to tell that these ideals were inspired by the same ones that influenced Hitler, seeing that comparison. From what I understand and how the Cult Education Institute puts it, apparently everyone on this earth were a bunch of inferior races. Adam and Eve were supposed to purify everyone, but it fails. And this is why human methods of controlling races have been implemented, such as genocide, slavery, you get the picture. Urantia is condoning all of this and it's been on Celestial Seasoning's tea boxes. Great, not the negative, horrible parts, sure, but what Mo has called uplifting quotes. I think what bothers me so much about this is that Mo admitted, yes, he's read the whole book and believes in it. It's not as if he stated there were some parts he disagreed with or he wanted to bring new meaning to Urantia quotes, as Mo puts it, human achievement. I don't think this would be an excuse for quoting Urantia, but at least I would be less upset so long as Mo Siegel were actually denouncing certain aspects of this ridiculous book. But Mo apparently can't get enough of its teaching and stated, when I first heard people discussing the Urantia book, they said it was a revelation written not by human beings, but by angels, which I thought was just the goofiest thing I've ever heard. I ended up reading it in spite of all of that. After I read it, I was not concerned about who had written it or how it had been written because it was so powerful. I'd wanted bold, I found bold. I wanted spiritual adventure and I was on the ride of my life. I'd wanted truth and the book was loaded with it. Since that time, I've looked into it deeply and I cannot find any author associated with the book. But that is not the point because I love what it says and I'm a much better person because of its teachings. I've learned not to pick fights with the books I read. I'm appreciative and I grow from them. If you find a book that makes you happy and it teaches you some incredible life lessons, that's amazing. But if it's condoning genocide, perhaps not. I try to be open-minded and say that you can believe what you want as long as it's not hurting someone, but this is very obviously hurting people and spreading horrific messages. If Mo wants to read his racist book in private, that's fine, but maybe like don't print quotes from it on tea bags and expect me to buy it once I find out what those meanings are and where they come from. Two authors, Canfield and Hendricks, have even published a book called People Tell the Story of a Book That Changed Their Life, and Mo's story is in there. I've got no idea how he can shamelessly promote these ideas. Is he that blind that he can't see why the Urantia book is worrying? Or is he really that openly hateful and just doesn't give a shit? It looks like it could perhaps, and unfortunately be the latter, as cult education explains, Illness and disease result from evil and cause suffering, Siegel writes in the 20 most asked questions on the Urantia Book Fellowship website. Unfortunately, several factors hinder progress toward the development of a disease-free world. The laws of genetics are immutable and form the physical cornerstone of evolution. At the present time, mankind loses about as much progress as it makes by ignoring eugenics. 
I continued reading the book and found plenty of infuriating eugenicist passages. It says that democracy is a slavery to public opinion and freedom does more harm than good among the public. Don't get me wrong, people do abuse freedoms from time to time, but that doesn't mean we should just throw freedom of speech out the window because hate speech exists. And let's just take a quick break from today's episode to talk about today's sponsor, HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal delivery service that will bring 25 or more recipes that are available to you right to your door every single week. They offer a range of flavors, cuisines, ingredients, dietary options, and even like how fast you want the food to be done options too, which that's pretty nice. And HelloFresh cuts down on grocery bills by saving you up to 40% instead of shopping at your local store. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients so you're not overbuying, which is a burden on the planet and your wallet. Because let me tell you how easy this is. When you get your box, right? This is what they do. You open up the box, your meats are packaged separately and they're all like in these little plastic containers. So there's nothing contaminating the raw meats or anything like that. If you choose meats, if you don't choose meats, you're obviously not gonna get that. And then each of the rest of the ingredients are all going to be inside these nice little brown baggies that are all segmented, pre-portioned and everything, which is about as like stupid free as I need food making to be. And the ingredients are gigantic. They are laminated and they come with pictures. Like I'm telling you, this cannot get any easier. So if you wanna get started with America's number one meal kit, make sure to go to hellofresh.com slash casket10 and use code casket10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. Skip those trips to the grocery store and make home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. Go to hellofresh.com slash casket10 and use code casket10 for 10 free meals, including shipping. Chapter 75 describes Adam and Eve as noble souls that tragically weren't able to complete their task, you know, turning the whole world white. But they did manage to make the world at least a little better simply by being a superior race, according to the book. Here's what it said. The human race has been uplifted despite the immediate consequences of the Adamic fault. Although the divine plan of giving the violet race to the Urantia peoples miscarried, the mortal races have profited enormously from the limited contribution which Adam and his descendants made to Urantia races. Like, honestly, like just an honest moment here, what the fuck am I actually reading at this point? Now, as inclined as I am to call this a cult, Urantia technically is not a cult. The people that belong to it may be shady as hell and act like they are, but it doesn't actually quite fit the definition. The Cult Education Institute reads, the Urantia book itself does not represent a destructive cult, said Rick Ross, a cult expert who helped in Waco with the Branch Davidians. But some of its self-proclaimed prophets led groups that can be seen as destructive cults. The book also purports that there have been many, many sons of God like Jesus on many different planets because there are a billion worlds. When evolution is complete, each of these worlds will have 100,000 local universes with 10 million inhabited planets. Our earth is called Urantia and its number is 606 and a planetary group called Satania, the headquarters of which is called Jerusalem. When we die, we're reincarnated from planet to planet, then finally to paradise where the deity lives. There is a little piece of the deity in each of us called a thought adjuster. The fellowship will tell you that it's not a cult, but in the Urantia book, the revelator named the brilliant evening star of Nebadon calls for Urantians to replace Christianity with a new cult that will be the true religion of the future. The Urantia book itself does not represent a destructive cult, but some of its self-proclaimed prophets led groups that can be seen as destructive cults. 
getting some intense Scientology vibes from this, like Urantia is its younger sibling or something. Cult Education even speculates that the reason Mo went from Mo's herb tea to celestial seasonings is because this book was written by celestial beings. It doesn't seem like that's confirmed, so this is only alleged, but I wouldn't be surprised if this was the actual case. Mo Siegel may have left Celestial Seasonings in 2002, but he actually became president of the Urantia Foundation since then. According to the Urantia website, Mo, father of five, lives in Boulder, Colorado with his wife, Jennifer. During the last 30 years, Mo has served on the board of directors of 16 for-profit and not-for-profit organizations. He has spent most of his life in the food industry. Mo began reading the Urantia book in 1969 after spending two years living and attending school at a Catholic monastery. He has hosted a Urantia book study group since 1972. During the past 27 years, Mo has served on the boards of three organizations solely dedicated to the Urantia book. He has also been a trustee of Urantia Foundation since 1998. Mo has been invested in this foundation for a long time and justifying racist beliefs for a long time too. The Urantia website doesn't even fully address any criticism. And when asked why professors and theologists don't endorse the book, their response is to quote the Bible and say that, once upon a time, the imprisoned John sent messengers to Jesus to inquire about the certainty of his teaching and his mission. Did Jesus send word to John saying, go tell John that the doctors of the law and the professors of the rabbinic academies of Jerusalem are accepting the gospel. The leaders of the Pharisees are being baptized. Even some of the chief priests and leading citizens of Jerusalem are flocking to our standard. No, he did not send any such message to John, but he did say to John's messengers, go back and tell John he is not forgotten. Tell him what you have seen and heard that the poor have good tidings preached to them. And the New Testament bears record that the common people heard him gladly, Mark 12, 37. It is true near the end of his life's work, while the theologians continued to reject his teachings, many leaders among the Jews did accept the gospel message, seeing that many members of the Sanhedrin joined the kingdom. This doesn't actually answer the question though. They state that people didn't believe the Bible at first, but the Urantia book has been out for quite some time now. The author, whoever they are, has most certainly passed away at this point. So why aren't people endorsing your book still? Could it be because it's absolute nonsense? Because I think it is, but okay. They even have to clarify that the book doesn't teach anti-Semitism, even though Hitler was inspired by similar ideals and claimed that their critics haven't read the book. One critic downright states that I can't make this read as anything other than extremely racist. And since the white race has blue ancestry, particularly white supremacist, Talking about unfit, defective, degenerate, and antisocial stocks seem to totally negate the loving fatherhood of God. I am white, by the way, and I find it offensive. There is no way I could recommend this book to my black friends. The Urantia website response to this is laughable and insulting, all wrapped into one. Whoever wrote this states, I understand you are a new reader and have yet to finish a first reading of the Urantia book. There are many sections in the book that can bring consternation when considered outside the text of full revelation, race being one of them. Regarding race, regarding humanity in general, and regarding the composition of the book, most of the first 119 out of the 196 papers are written by highly intelligent beings who have never been human, beings of higher origin than humans, angels. 
As the lowest order of free will creature in existence, we humans now find ourselves reading about our origin, nature, and destiny as perceived from a higher and non-human perspective. Sources not so sentimental about our shortcomings as we obviously are. It's interesting how we're so aware of the necessity of animal husbandry to produce improved results, but feel it is a human right to breed indiscriminately with no regard for the kind of offspring being produced. If I had a choice, I'd want to be born into a healthy body with all my arms, legs, fingers, toes, hearing, eyesight, and normal mental capabilities, as opposed to simply being left to happenstance and finding myself having less than these normal endowments. That's the point these teachings of the Urantia book make. We owe it to our offspring to provide them the best biological vehicle possible. Life on an evolutionary world is challenge enough without also being faced with confronting it in a defective body or with a defective mind. You've also said, I can't make this read as anything other than extremely racist. And since the white race has blue ancestry, particularly white supremacist. There is no black race on Urantia, just as there are no other pure races. The indigo race, a deep purple hue, appeared about 500,000 years ago, along with the other five colored races. Africans are a mixed racial heritage, just like the rest of humanity, being a mixture primarily of the remnants of the indigo, orange, and green races. And just based on what we know and what we've already read, just let that sink in for just a hot moment. This isn't even the full response. It just keeps rambling without saying much at all. Look, we do not owe it to anyone to not breed with someone that Urantia deems defective, AKA black people apparently, because you say that indigo, orange, and green races are secondary people. And you say that Africans are of mixed racial heritage, primarily of the remnants of indigo, orange, and green. So, hmm, what other message are you trying to say other than that one that was very clearly laid out? Like if you have some genetic stuff going on and don't wanna pass that down to your children, that's up to you. You gotta do what feels right for you. That doesn't make people defective though. And that last part of their statement about the whole, there are no races, just sounds like it's trying to be like colorblind or like I'm really getting a strong, like all lives matter vibe from it. Like if someone told me they're African-American or Middle Eastern or Cuban or any race at all, and I'm just like, oh, well, like I don't see race. Like that would be kind of a weird response. Like race does exist and it is visible. Personally, I don't think we're going to prevent racism by avoiding the topic of race altogether, but rather than saying, yes, I see you, I see your race, I see your life matters, your experience matters, and no race is better or worse than any other. Like, why is that so hard to say? Plus, Urantia, newsflash, you were inspired by the same dude that held values inspired by Hitler. Like, yeah, no, we're we're not gonna acknowledge that. Like for fuck's sake, the man that literally wrote the other book about eugenics, like, come on, like stop pretending. If you're gonna be an asshole, at least be an honest asshole. Now, before my brain just melts again into another puddle, let's finish this portion by stating that Urantia can't even get basic science right. Their belief system is messed up enough, but they're also just inaccurate too, because you know it kind of goes hand in hand. One source cites the Urantia book, UB as they call it, and says, if the UB really were an extraterrestrial revelation, it should accurately describe our universe. It fails this test miserably. The UB claims the universe is over 1 trillion years old. Most scientists date it at about 15 billion years. 
The temperature it assigns to the sun's surface is off by thousands of degrees. It falsely says that Mercury keeps the same face towards the sun. The UB teaches that humans have 48 chromosomes. It should be 46. Atoms supposedly cannot process more than 100 electrons. This limit was broken in 1955 as any periodic table will confirm. Now, back to celestial seasonings. Some of their little quotes are from Henry David Thoreau and other writers, and there's nothing harmful there. I doubt celestial seasonings would be dumb enough to continue quoting this book now that the story has exploded and gone pretty viral in the past couple months. If you enjoy your sleepy time tea, I'm not gonna tell you to stop drinking it. Their founder is a pretty nutty and horrible person in my opinion, but at least he doesn't have to be or seem to be part of this company anymore. So it doesn't look like your money is gonna go towards him, at least from what I've found or really the lack of findings. Although they've had a few issues over the years, their other controversies are pretty minimal. They were named in a class action lawsuit in 2013 for falsely labeling themselves as organic in order to mislead consumers into buying their product. The lawsuit states, this is a consumer protection and false advertising class action. Defendant, the Haines Celestial Group defendant, markets, advertises, and distributes various teas under the Celestial Seasonings brand name, which it prominently advertises as 100% natural. The teas at issue are Sleepy Time Herbal Tea, Sleepy Time Kids Goodnight Grape, Green Tea Peach Blossom, Green Tea Raspberry Gardens, Authentic Green Tea, Antioxidant Max Dragon Fruit, Green Tea Honey Lemon Ginseng, Antioxidant Max Blackberry Pomegranate, Antioxidant Max Blood Orange, and English Breakfast Black K-Cup, collectively the products. These products are not natural, but to the contrary, contain pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, carcinogens, and or developmental toxins, collectively contaminants. Many of the products contain contaminants in levels violating federal standards and some certain contaminants included in the current Proposition 65 list, one for which no safe harbor limits have been established. In short, the products contain potentially dangerous contaminants and most are definitely not 100% natural as claimed. They're called Hain Celestial Group, by the way, because Hain Food Group and Celestial Seasonings had merged in 2000. So that's why that's the defendant's name. A couple years later in 2015, the lawsuit was settled. They agreed to a $7.5 million settlement and almost $2 million in coupons. I'm not gonna say the behavior was excusable, but I'd say it pales in comparison to what we've already discussed. Overall, they took things a little too far with organic labeling, fixed it, paid a hefty price and moved on. This isn't a good look, but if this were their only controversy, then I probably wouldn't talk about this tea brand at all. Companies make mistakes and they made one and paid for it, which I appreciate. However, what their founder does to this day, acting as president of Urantia, that's just, a different mess altogether. But with all of that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, make sure that you're following or subscribe to the podcast on whatever listening platform you're currently hearing this on. If you wanna connect with me outside of the podcast, you can look for my Linktree link in the description. It's just a neatly organized link list for all of my social media, YouTube channels, Twitch channels, projects, whatever I'm involved in, there will be a link for it in there. Again, thank you so much for making it to another episode. I love you and I will see you all Monday. Bye.